You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Compelling Evidence 3.0 and features experts from Chargebacks 911. So today we're going to be breaking down Visa's Compelling Evidence 3.0, which is Visa's most recent update to its core rules and regulations surrounding compelling evidence and what materials can be used to help reverse an invalid customer dispute. So for those merchants joining us today, that Compelling Evidence 3.0, it provides a pretty much a standardized framework for all the parties involved in the chargeback process to share information and substantiate claims uh, that's going to help reverse those fraudulent or illegitimate chargebacks that you might be facing. Uh, But before we get started, I just want to quickly go over how this webinar is going to be structured. So the first part of the webinar will include a short presentation. This portion will have some visual elements, so it's important that, if at all possible, you close any other windows that you might have and just give us your undivided attention. The second portion that we'll move into is going to be a Q&A session where we'll answer many of the questions that were pre-submitted. Um, and this portion will be a little less visual, so it's okay if you want to just listen in on that part. Uh, during this webinar, feel free to submit any questions that you might have. Um, we, we promise to answer any questions that get submitted. If not live, then we'll do it by email after the webinar. But don't worry if you have a question, we will get around to answering it. So for today, I am joined by Chargebacks 911's Vice President of Enterprise Engagement, Mr. David Pirtle, our Director of Relationship Management, Craig McClure, and our Head of Strategic Projects, Jonathan Broomfield. Uh, These three gentlemen are going to help walk us through these updates, uh, what it means for retailers, and uh, sort of an overview of the process of what submitting that compelling evidence looks like. So uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Good to be here, Justin. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So Visa's Compelling Evidence 3.0, it went into effect April 15th, and it kind of gives merchants a new framework to address those cases of friendly fart and first-party misuse within the payments ecosystem. So this is a big update in terms of, you know, these payment processors recognizing that friendly fraud and first-party misuse uh, is sort of an ongoing issue for merchants. So you know, with that, I kind of wanted to hand over the reins to you guys and and let you all walk us through just what compelling evidence is, uh, why these updates are so important, and what that process for submitting the evidence looked like. So, guys, I'll let you take it away. Thanks, Justin. If we can, there we go. Okay, so um, I'm Craig McClure. Pleased to meet you all uh, on the web, and thank you for joining us. So. I think, as Justin says, this is a very noisy subject at the moment, and a lot of people are talking about Visa Compelling 3.0, and some people are saying it's revolutionary, and some people are saying, you know, it's not that exciting. We're going to try and break it down, make it a little bit more understandable, what exactly it means, and how it might impact um, different types of merchants, because it's got a bit of a, a, a far reach. First of all, though, we should probably just get our head around exactly how things have worked before we we move on to sort of how things are going to work or sort of post the 15th of April. John, take us through just exactly how um, a merchant would respond to a fraud charge back today. I mean, we're we're talking about transactions, I assume, where there's no 3D secure, right? So that liability shift doesn't exist. So we're talking about any other fraud charge back. How, How does a merchant respond today 
first of all. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I mean, obviously, the the best evidence that you can provide would be somewhere where 3D is enabled and able to be presented with a defense package. Outside of that, at the moment, really, it was the best way to link a customer to the transaction. And, you know, it's down to interpretation is subjective, which it always has been really with chargebacks. Um, everyone has a different view on what they'll deem as compelling evidence. So in our experience, what we people see is they'll try and utilize anything from kind of email addresses, um, delivery of goods, and whether they have that tracking information, anything that can link that customer to that transaction. Um, but as I said, it's always down to kind of interpretation, really. So there's a lot of really good data elements that were available, but might not be utilized or deemed as compelling evidence. Um, and, you know, that's the changes that we're now seeing with 3.0, and Visa have recognized that. So how have the rules worked, John? So if the merchant provides a lot of evidence, what does he, what has historically the issuer had to do? So historically, they'll just basically review the evidence as it is. So what they should do is basically grab the information that's been presented to them. They will utilize that to have the conversation with their customer um, or the cardholder, um, and they would walk through the information that's been provided. Now, it would take really it was for the customer to actually turn around and say, well, that's still not my transaction. I still didn't authorize it or still don't recognize it. Um, and then that's all the customer, the issue would really need really to kind of like bounce that back onto, onto the merchant. Okay. So one of the things that's changing with compelling evidence 3.0 is that rather than rely on the issue just to review and make a decision, actually some of the data that can be provided can actually change the outcome of the case. This is now going to be in the rules. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely, yeah. As I, as I said, the current visa have now recognised with the introduction of 3.0 that there are other data elements that can be utilised to combat a chargeback for fraud. They just sometimes weren't being utilised correctly or viewed as compelling evidence. Um, so now they've introduced these data elements that are through, uh, you know, the different services they're going to provide, whether it's Order Insight or actually through the post-chargeback defence mechanism. Okay. David, Chargebacks 911, we've been talking about friendly fraud for years and years. Is this, is this sort of finally people beginning to listen? Are we, are we getting something official now? Yeah, I think it is absolutely about time that everyone is acknowledging friendly fraud exists. So we've been saying it, of course, for years. Um, and I think this is part of the first steps of identifying uh, that we need a post-transaction, you know, prevention mechanism and that it, you know, can't all be remedied up front on the front end, you know, fraud filter approach. Um, so, yeah, I think we're finally getting some some traction with the friendly fraud news um, and this is built to help that. Super. Okay. So it's probably worth saying that, that this is um, a toe in the water uh, we, we think so that the, the, the are doing here a very limited piece of work with some transactions that can qualify for this. So, you know, if we take the principle of what compelling evidence 3.0 is supposed to do, so it's using data to try and actually resolve a chargeback where we can show a customer has had some involvement. Um, John, take us through the data points that we need to actually have in order to participate here. So there needs to be basically a two-part validation process, which they call the merchant matching process. So to qualify for 3.0, a transaction being disputed has to meet two sets of criteria, which is the established historical footprint and the data validation. 
So you can have anything with two transactions that are between 120 and 365 days old um, that hadn't been disputed on uh, and that hadn't have been deemed fraudulent either. And you can grab that. The reason why it's between the 120 and the 365 is one is that anything transaction can be filed within that 120 day period. So you need to extend it to go through to that four years worth of data, basically, to be able to introduce that. Um, there has to be no fraud activity that's already been reported on that transaction or on that, even that card. Um, and the transactions must be from the same merchant. So you'd need to have basically one of those elements there that comes through, but definitely the two transactions that are between the 120 and 365 days old. So just and the second component. Sorry. So just to pause on that, so just to be really clear, in order to, for me to qualify for compelling evidence 3.0, I have to have transactions that are older than 120 days from the same customer. Correct. Okay. And then the second part? And the second part is the data validation. So at least two of the core data elements match between prior transactions and the disputed transaction. Um, and one of those must be either an IP address or a device ID. So you can introduce a user ID, the IP address, a shipping address, um, or the device ID. The device ID is really good because it's pretty much kind of biometrics. So you're getting lots of different types of data that comes along with that data device ID that can be captured. Uh, and that's what can be utilised. So if I can show that the customer has transacted with me before and not reported fraud, and I've got some of this additional data, then what happens? Through the process. So it depends on where the part of the process is. So if you're doing it as a post-chargeback defence, then that can be reviewed by the issuer. They can understand and have that conversation with those two data elements to challenge their customer. And they can make the decision there and then just to say, actually, we're comfortable that this is your transaction based on these data elements that we have. And then they can basically stop the chargeback process there and then with their customer. If it goes through something like order insight. Sorry, Greg. No, go on. If it's through order insight, um, this is where it gets a little bit cleaner. So through all the order insight process is that you can actually send that information in real time to the issuing bank as the customer is actually raising the disputes or having a query for those transactions. And it will introduce those data elements. As long as they're available there and can be utilized, they'll go through with a digital record. And then within that digital record, Visa has edits in place that will also recognize those data components and then if they're comfortable that it qualifies under 3.0, then they'll actually block the chargeback completely from happening. So all of this data matching happens in Visa's system, though, right? Correct, yeah. D David, is this a way for merchants to start overturning fraud cases? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, uh, partly going back to what we were saying before, there was a lot of interpretation in the uh, reviewing of casework when it hits the issuer's desk. Um, and with this system, it's a defined workflow and uh, supporting evidence that needs to be considered, and there's no room for interpretation. So if you, as a merchant, uh, of course, prepare yourself and collect these pieces of information, then, you know, that is what this program is built for. Um, it is built for, you know, over overcoming fraud um, or false fraud claims in this case uh, to either prevent them with order insights up front or, you know, recover the revenue without interpretation on the back end. So from as far as I know, this is the first time that um, 
data has really been used to try and make some of these, these decisions rather than the, the sort of old fashioned way of doing resentments with, with documents. I, I mean, but it's pretty clear from what John said that, that this isn't, not every transaction can qualify. Do you, do you think this is just the thin edge of the wedge? Are we going to see more of this, David? Oh, yeah, I absolutely think we're going to see more with, uh, you know, the development of 3.0, uh, you know, just in conversations uh, with the industry. This is just the way things are going to start going. Um, they're starting with, you know, fraud reason codes because, you know, as we at Chargebacks 911 say is the vanilla code of Chargebacks is just kind of the most, you know, prominent reason code used um, and to kind of push things through the Chargeback uh, cycle. So, yeah, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. And just to add to that, um, I wanted to clarify one more point on the historical transaction uh, qualification. Um, so I was actually reading on, you know, 3.0 and all this kind of stuff, doing some research, and I came across something kind of inter interesting to add uh, to the historical transaction. You can actually use a previously disputed transaction as long as it's not related to a 10.1 through 10.5 reason code. So say, for instance, you know, merchandise defective or whatever on that transaction, you can still use that as part of your two historical transactions. It just cannot be fraud related. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Okay, that's a great point. So you can use any historical transaction, even if it was disputed, as long as it wasn't in a group 10 reason code. So 10.1 to 10.5. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, so let's just pause the thought on the future, because I think we'll probably have a bit more on that. But I know that there are two ways to participate in the compelling evidence um, changes. One is before a chargeback happens, and then one is after the chargeback happens, and they've got some little differences and some nuances. Um, David, you're, you're a bit of a resident expert on the pre-chargeback flow for something that Visa call Order Insight. Do you want to talk, talk us through the, the process here? Yeah, I think the easiest way to explain this uh, without getting too technical is to think of this as a real-time retrieval request. So back in the day when, you know, issuers used to request additional information to make a better decision on whether they should file the chargeback or not, uh, this all happens in real time through, you know, technical integration. So instead of waiting for that, you know, information to hit their desk through order insights, they can just do a transaction inquiry. And then through us as a facilitator or whoever you work with, with your order insight provider, we can have all that information back to the issuer for review in one second. So at the time of the dispute, you know, when the consumer is on the phone, they can ask additional questions, maybe, you know, refresh their memory of the purchase, things like that. So really, it's just a real-time retrieval, real-time data transfer. So two questions on that then. So do... Does the merchant need the bank to be the processor or their bank to be participating here, or can they do that directly with 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 someone like us or, or another provider? Um, they can do it through another provider. So the good thing is this is a, a Visa slash Verify uh, product and managed by them. So this actually lives on the digital rails of the card brand and not uh, of the acquirer. Got it. And then if you're able to provide the 3.0 data in that pre-chargeback uh, data, what happens to the claim? So that is the uh, 
brilliance of all of this. So incorporating the 3.0 features and uh, compelling evidence, you can now prevent, uh, you know, every fraud claim realistically if you reply back with the key pieces of supporting evidence that's outlined, you know, previously on the slide. Okay, so if I'm a merchant and I'm enrolled in the Order Insight program, which is, and I might ask you actually how easy that is to do, then I can and I, and I can respond with the data. Then the issuer cannot raise a chargeback against me because I have the protection from providing that data. Correct. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of the, I know we get this question a lot. It'd be good to cover it here actually. Just in terms of the the integration effort or how how difficult it is to get involved in in the order insight because it sounds quite hard to be able to provide that data like in a second like you said um yeah it can be a little bit daunting when thinking about you know meeting that sla of one second but fortunately uh you know doing this for so long we have options that we work with for our merchants without getting into it there's about three different options uh but realistically it's not that bad uh, you know, we can actually take over the responsibility of matching transactions, things like that within our integration environment and then do the API, you know, of course, that it relies on with with uh, Verify um, and then ease that that lift on the merchant. Um, so depending on the provider out there, uh, it could get a little bit complex, but, you know, just arrest everyone's uh, or ease everyone's mind. Um, it's just a maybe a couple of weeks, maybe six hours worth of, of dev work. It's pretty fairly straightforward. Okay. So there are, there are, as I mentioned, there are two ways to do this. The first one sounds like it's pretty bulletproof in terms of, um, you know, supplying the data before the chargeback happens and being able to block that, that chargeback from happening if you've got the data. And then the second workflow is uh, after the chargeback. So more like what we're used to, I think, with, um, chargeback representments or or more technically the pre-arbitration response here. John, can you just take us through what this workflow lo looks like for uh, Visa? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, if, you, if you're not participating in Order Insight, then it will just divert through the usual chargeback cycle and channel. Um, so once the chargeback has been filed, it will come back onto the merchant, and as part of their defense package, they'll then need to um, find the information under the two-part validation process and just apply that to the defense package that they have. Um, and that can go with the rest of the data they want to provide to try and um, mitigate that chargeback. So the difference here, though, or the, the challenge that you have here is that that data then needs to be collected and there's human participation in terms of them providing that data through the scheme so the issuer gets to see it and challenge it with their customer. Um, and you're always down to kind of human error at times with that because nothing's automated and nothing's digital and there's no actual automation in terms of recognizing that data set there. It's collected. It has to be completed within the B-roll questionnaire and then it needs to go through to the issuer from the acquirer. So there's a lot of elements in there where there's human participation where um, human error can actually be made as well. So just, um, just step us through, if you're doing it this way, how does the data get from the merchant to the issuer? So the method will provide the package, it will then come through to the acquirer. The acquirer will then gather the information. If it has all of the 3.0 information in there, they'll need to then take that information. They'll need to then input it into a questionnaire within the V-roll system and then have that submitted with the package through to the issuer. So the issuer then has that available to challenge with their customers. And they also have it available to them to see that the 3.0 criteria has been met or at least attempted to be met. Ah, okay. So you you make a good point here. So if the merchant is responding after the chargeback, 
you are relying on the processor or the acquirer taking that information and inputting it into some kind of a visa system in order for it to get to where it's supposed to go. Now, I think that from our, from our perspective at Chargewise 911, we know that a lot of banks aren't yet supporting this. So if the merchant provides it after the chargeback, there's no guarantee that the information would get there. Is that fair to say, John? Correct, yeah. yeah it's okay. a lot cleaner if you do participate in order insight because all of that will be automated. Okay. And do do you um you still so if you if you do this in order insight, so there's no chargeback yet, so I presume the the merchant doesn't get the, the negative statistic or the fee associated with the chargeback. But if, if this happens in post chargeback, you still get the chargeback statistic against you, your account, and you still get the fees, etc. Is that right as well? Correct, yeah. And being under ten point four, where you're actually replying as a pre-arbitration, it would then be down to yourself to make the decision whether you actually want to escalate that to arbitration. Um, depending on your average ticket cost, that's where a decision will need to be made whether you want to push it through and potentially eat the cost, which could be anything of like $500 plus for that arbitration case for it to even just be reviewed. Okay. Okay. Um, so I um, had a, a bit of a sneaky peek at some of the changes that, that we're making from a Chargebox 911 perspective to support the second uh, workflow. So um, anybody on the call who's already using our our, um, our portal will soon see some changes where you can actually start to get involved in, in choosing transactions or in populating the data um, to be able to support compelling evidence 3.0. I think, as John said, the, the constraint with this is that we can collect this information and provide it here but it has to go back to the um, to the to the processor in order for it to be guaranteed to get to the to the to the card issuer in order to be to be responded to. Whereas with workflow one and David, correct me here with the order insight flow, this is all happening directly outside of the processor, and so the the it, it's a there's a sort of solid guarantee that the data will will get there. Correct me if I'm wrong there, though, David. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So this, the you know, order insights works outside of the the processor slash acquirer uh, information transfer, you know, digital rails, uh, and gets straight back to the issuer. So there's very little room for error. Cool. Um, just not to dwell too heavily on Visa though, because I know this is about Visa specific changes. But um, I mean, John or David, I know there's a lot of noise on, in the industry about this. I mean, Mastercard and I recently. Uh, announced some changes called Mastercard Collaboration, which allows data to be shared up front and, and may well be looking to make some similar changes. Are you guys expecting the same from Mastercard and others? 100%. I think this is going to be just the, the first stepping stone, really. The recognition of that friendly fraud does exist is throughout the payments landscape and the ecosystem now. So I think a lot of people are acknowledging and understanding that this is a problem, um, and I think other people will be making similar changes to try and combat those kind of bad chargebacks that keep coming through, at least give enough for the issuers to continue challenging their customers up front. Yep, I agree with that. I mean, it's 2023, so uh, it's about time we started <laughs> to automate some of this, uh, you know, relieve some of that human error and decision-making. Uh, putting some better straightforward rules that, you know, uh, left for less interpretation. And then, you know, just providing a cheaper way. I think that's my favorite part of all of this. I mean, this is a very affordable approach to fraud prevention. Um, 
on the post-transaction side of things. So this is way less expensive to prevent, uh, you know, a chargeback through mechanisms like this than it is for you to go through the manual process of representing, responding, doing the research, and then getting the penalty fee. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm all for it. So if you were to give one piece of advice then to any merchant about who's thinking not just about 3.0, but about, you know, medium or longer term investment in the whole chargeback piece, like, what, what would what would that be? Data. Data is key, really. And the collection of data and how you start utilising it. So as you said, we're now building kind of like a, a foundation, an infrastructure that you can now build upon because the technical advancements that are happening now within the payments ecosystem, especially in terms of processing transactions, um, just keeps keeps getting more intelligent. So by having that data now that you can start utilising, collecting and building on and then going through kind of AI and any kind of filtering um, will, you know, present new benefits in the future for sure. Yeah, likewise. I mean, preparation, um, start preparing now if you're a merchant. I mean, as these things evolve into, you know, a broader, um, you know, tool to prevent friendly fraud, um, like the 10.4 and fraud, you know, related uh, 3.0 evidence that we have now and defined, um, as these come out, you know, you might have to tweak your uh, front end process to, you know, gain more information from your consumer to be protected. But it's all about preparation so that you can exploit these new new tools of prevention. Okay, so J- Justin, I know we've got a ton of questions that came, but I just wanted to summarise, I think, what I've heard from David and, uh, and John. So this is, at the moment, a visa firm change that covers some transactions, but not all. But pr- probably this is the thin end of a wedge. We're going to start to see more use cases for sharing data to resolve transactions. And actually, this is a, a decent step towards uh, 21st century digital solutions for disputes rather than paper. Uh, but it's about data and it's about being ready to share, having it in a place that, that it can be easily accessed and being ready to uh, to be able to expose that to to whether it's a, a company like us or whether it's directly to your bank or your processor to be able to uh, to avail of these opportunities in the future to to resolve or reduce claims. David or John, would you add anything else that, that we've missed before we move on to some questions? No, I think you summed it up really well there. I guess it's an exciting time, really. I mean, since the introduction of VCR back in 2018, that was like five years ago now. So this is the first initial addition to that kind of framework that Visa have looked at. Um, and for it to be recognised that it is friendly fraud that's creating that kind of friction within this space. And that's the first step that they made on top of the VCR framework to push forward on um, is that recognition. And as you said, now they're moving into like the digital world. It's that framework of data, data, data that's going to be going to be key moving forward. Right, and that is actually the main thing here: the fact that there is an acknowledgement that there are bad customers in this. Friendly fraud is a is a real issue in the industry, and this is a this the start of a of a, of initiatives to 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 tackle it. Yeah, you're um, you're eleven in the playing field. I think with the the visa initiative back in 2018, they kind of recognised it, um, and they tried to when they split to allocation and collaboration through the different channels that you can dispute. Um, but yeah, this is kind of like that validation now that you know five years on, it's still a problem. They're seeing it's a problem, 
data elements that could have been utilized were not being utilized and I've now shined a light on it and said like no we're happy that these data elements can actually be brought into the fold and combat those like, bad chargebacks that are coming through. Thanks John. So Justin I think um, that concludes the the main points here we I know we did have a lot of questions so we've left time for it. Yeah, thank you guys so much. That was incredibly informative. Um, if you're a merchant on the webinar, that's, that's big news in terms of uh, the industry just recognizing, um, you know, just tilting the scales a little bit, uh, making it like uh, like John was saying, just a little bit more of an even playing field. So uh, thank you guys so much for, for all that information. I hope it was uh, easily digestible for some of our attendees here today. And yeah, let's, uh, let's move on to the Q&A portion. Um, see if there's any specific questions out there that we can uh, that that you guys might be able to answer for some of the folks attending today's webinar. So we'll get straight to the first one. This one comes from Elena, and she asks this, the the compelling evidence 3.0 update allows you to present previous undisputed charges as compelling evidence. But what about presenting yearly recurring subscriptions? So I'll, I'll let, um, you know, as we go through these questions, um, you know, feel free to, um, uh, you know, one or all three of you, if you guys want to chime in, if you guys have an answer. Um, but yeah, what's, uh, who would like to take this first one from Elena? I, I can think of <laughs> Go on, go on. Yeah, unfortunately, um, it's not going to meet the requirements. So um, yeah, if the transaction is over 365, you know, 365 days, then it will not uh, meet the undisputed or, you know, unfraud related transaction requirement for the two historical transactions. Because again, you need two, you don't just need one. Uh, so you're just not going to meet those requirements, unfortunately. Gotcha. Craig, was there anything that you wanted to add? I saw you jump in there. No, spot on. I mean, I think I, I would only add to that that this is, um, again, only the first use case that Visa put together for this. I think um, as they, they measure the success or otherwise of this initiative, they would start to look at other use cases that make sense. And people with recurring uh, subscriptions definitely make sense in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully they're going to start looking at that, you know, um, post 120 day mark. Uh, because I, I completely understand the 120 day window. You have that time to dispute a charge. So it may be disputed, uh, down the road, but you know, up to a year, it's a little bit gray for me. Um, so yeah, hopefully they'll just keep tweaking and adjusting as we go along. It's very new. So yeah. Gotcha. Now this next question and, and apologies if I butcher this name, um, comes from Ibris. Um, how can Visa's Compelling Evidence 3.0 updates be integrated into a merchant's automated process? Um, David, this one, this one might be a good one for you. Uh, get order insights. So that is the way that you would automate this uh, response. You know, uh, you just have a provider like us or someone else for order insights, and that is a fully automated end-to-end -end process that you would get transparency and reporting on. Um, so if you're looking for automation, Order Insights is the way to go. Wonderful. All right. Our next question comes from Adrian James. How can merchants match data on historical transactions? So, not all at uh, once. No, not all at once. So, uh, <laughs> again, if you're integrated with a service like Order Insight, you know, someone like us, we're going to do it for you. If you're doing this in a, in a, in a manual way, then the word is manual. You're going to have to find 
this information uh, for yourself and populate it for yourself. Um, I think as we explained in those two workflows. So hopefully those two those two workflows that we talked about um, give enough clarity there. But um, I think I think the most advantageous way to do this is through uh, an automated solution. So order insight makes the the most sense. Gotcha. Okay. So this next question is from Adam. He asks, are these new processes mostly about combating friendly fraud? Yes. Uh, simple answer, yes. Or at least starting to. To start with, yeah. But other things can be introduced through Order Insight for other reason codes as well. But in terms of the actual 3.0, the, the main feature of this one is to try and combat those fraud chargebacks. So, the, I mean, if you think about this, the, 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 current, the current flow that John talked about is that you can present all the evidence in the world in a fraud chargeback, and the issuer can just say, no, the customer still disputes it, and then the liability still lives with the merchant unless you want to go into an expensive arbitration process. Whereas now we're saying, look, there is a way for you to combat that with some data elements. And that changes, I think, Justin, you said it a second ago, tips the balance slightly, because now the issuer has to make more of an effort to talk to the customer about the claim and do a bit more research about the customer's previous spending habits. And are they using the same IP address? Are they using the same device when they're making transactions versus that that they might use to log into you know, mobile banking or some other um, service that the bank runs? So this is um, most definitely about targeting friendly fraud, but it, but it definitely tips the balances a little bit back towards uh, issuer effort as well. And, and that's something that I think Visa have been quite intentional about with this. That's a good point. All right, our next question is a little bit more pointed. Um, this one comes from Kay. She asks, in online gaming, it is difficult to have a customer uh, where they would have had at least two previously undisputed deposits made with the same card in the last 120 to 365 days. Most chargeback accounts are recently created accounts. How does compelling evidence serve gaming companies in such cases? I think we've all got a view on this. I mean, it, 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 this particular initiative doesn't really doesn't really serve you here. What will serve you is to have all of the data that is described, so that when they get a bit more interested in transactions that are closer in terms of dates, then then you have it available. But at the moment, they wouldn't qualify. Yeah. Yeah, and I think as Craig was alluding to before, you know, these are going to be, you know, this is sort of the foundation uh, at which everything is going to be built upon. So um, to Kay, you know, I'd say that's uh, um, something that's probably going to be coming, you know, down the pipeline once they see um, any shortcomings in these in these processes that these are something that's going to be answered. So, you know, when you ask about recently created accounts, how does compelling evidence serve those? Um, you know, that's something that as this process gets rolled out, that you know those any of those issues or those oversights are going to be picked up on. So um, in due time. All right. Our next question is: What do issuing banks need to know about this change? So particularly for issuing banks, what do they need to keep in mind for compelling evidence 3.0? Uh, well, I even got ahead of myself technical. So I think what we what we said about issuing banks. Um, well, one there'll be some liability here. So if an if a merchant can produce this evidence, then an issuer will be liable um, for some fraud, which is um, the first real change to the fraud liability rules since the 3D Secure rules uh, took effect some years ago. So that's a, a fairly important change. And as I think we've said, this is 
probably the thin end of the wedge of using data to resolve disputes. So issuers should be paying attention and treating this quite seriously in terms of having robust and good discussions with customers at the point they make the claim. I think there has been a view that a lot of issuers have given customers access to raising chargebacks you know, in app or online, and they're not having any conversations, and customers get quite, um, quite, they quite like that experience, whereas actually when there's a liability shift, then issuers will be, will be incentivized to, to pay more attention and probably care a little bit more about um, the behavior of their customers. So I think, um, you know, it's not, this is not earth shattering for issuers at this stage, but it is, um, something that they will be paying attention to. Yeah, I mean, they'll definitely need to adopt a process into their, their customer service journey it's just to look out for this data, especially if it's coming from a kind of like the, the post-chargeback defence, that they need to review the document that's been presented, the visa roll questionnaire that's going to be presented as well, the information that's involved in there, and actually spend some time looking at the data and whether that does qualify for 3.0. Uh, and as Craig Wright said, and rightly said, is to then actually present that and challenge it to to their customers and cardholder. So there's, there's going to be a little bit of work that they'll need to do. It's not going to be groundbreaking for them, but I think it it definitely shines a light on it. And they're going to need to just take that additional time now just to review that information that comes back for a defence under like 10.4. Um, our next question comes from Fabiano, who asks, how can small merchants benefit from compelling evidence 3.0? Well, I mean, everyone can benefit from 3.0. Um, it's the same service. It doesn't change really depending on who you are as a merchant. If you're receiving chargebacks, um, and you have the data available, then I'd say get involved and start utilizing it, whether it's through Order Insight, um, or through or any type of provider really. But uh, yeah, any, anyone, anyone at all can be utilizing the, th- the service for 3.0. All right. And our final question comes from Stephanie who asks, what else do I need to do to prepare for compelling evidence? That sounds like a question for David. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, it depends on your, your strategy. If your current strategy is to dispute, you know, uh, chargebacks in-house, then you need to be aware of these, uh, you know, changes, just like we're explaining to you today. So, Stephanie, uh, you know, keep up on the role changes. Uh, there'll be, you know, lots of webinars like this, partners for you to lean on for information. Um, so, uh, there will be new development, new releases on 3.0, so just be aware of that and keep up with the trends. Um, and then if you are currently using as, as a provider for Order Insights, you don't have to do anything. So we will guide you through the process, uh, help you, you know, determine what evidence is pertinent to your prevention or recovery process, uh, and it's made very easy. So um, in preparation, you know, do your research, uh, get the evidence that's needed to prevent and recover as things develop, and or just work more closely with your provider or start working with a provider to make it easy. All right, wonderful. Well, again, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, David, um, for sort of walking us through all of that, kind of giving us some clarity into what exactly has come down the pipeline from Visa and what's probably going to be coming down the pipeline from uh, other payment processors as well. So thank you guys very much. And just a reminder for everyone who attended today, uh, this webinar was recorded and we'll have a link at some point in the next day or so uh, so that you can uh, share it with colleagues or watch it again. Um, so after 30 days, we'll also have this webinar available on our podcast, uh, Charge Forward with Chargebacks 911. Uh, it's available on all streaming platforms. 
Uh, and again, feel free to reach out with us, uh, reach out to us if you have any additional questions, anything that we didn't get to today, uh, go ahead and, and submit those questions and we'll definitely make sure to answer all questions that we receive via email if we weren't able to answer them today. So thank you very much. I hope everyone has a good rest of their afternoon. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for joining us and be sure to look out for the next webinar that we have coming up here soon. So thank you very much. Everybody have a good day. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much.